the Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined by Meredith. Oh, good morning. Oh, good morning. And we have pretty good news to start the episode, which is that the strike is over at least tentatively. Um, SAG still needs to vote on the, the final, final offer. And listen, we're not going to get into the weeds with the details about the deal, but I'll say there were some meaningful gains um, and, you know, some valid concerns about AI, because while this deal puts up guardrails, quote unquote, with uh, in terms of AI, there's still a lot of loopholes, a lot of cause for concern. I think everybody should just be braced that now that AI is a thing, we're going to be doing this every three years. Yeah. And I think uh, I've seen a lot of interesting pieces that are, thing, you know, say things like, uh, you know, who were the winners and losers. And the, you know, the thing I want most, I still feel like hasn't been discussed is just like, I'm curious why there seems to be some skepticism among some members. I've definitely, uh, you know, I actually know a couple people who seem not super they are not for the deal well i think Um, they realistically they've looked at it and they're like i have concerns about ai and the thing is everyone has concerns about ai this was just as good as they could get it right now but absolutely no one is saying this should be end game in terms of ai um you know obviously some things were addressed in terms of background actors you know the studios have to use a certain minimum of background actors now they can't all be cgi does it go far enough? No. But everyone's sort of like, we are going to have to continually negotiate this stuff every few years because technology is evolving so quickly. And studios really, 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 really don't want to not use AI. And streamers right. don't want to show their numbers. So they're going to keep having this fight. And I think everyone wanted just a perfect final deal. And that was just never going to happen. So they, the committee worked as, as much as they could to get the best plan they could in the meantime. Yeah. And I mean, the, the fact that the people who are negotiating were able recognize that there was no reason to believe that the studios were operating on, in good faith and recognizing that they're going to, immediately start looking for loopholes that allow them to start screwing people again. Um, that's like part of the process as well. Like, right. Right. And they don't even have to look for them. There's loopholes built in because again, the studios really, really want to use AI. So anybody who responded to this deal saying, you know, there were AI experts, people who were very, very knowledgeable about AI, who had very long Twitter threads about why this deal is not good. And they have a lot of concerns, um, and then there was a phone call where some of them got some, you know, questions answered. They feel a little bit better about it now, but they still have a lot of concerns. To anyone who has concerns, you are right. You should have concerns because this is going to be an ongoing fight. We are in the beginning of the film Dune. Um, we are going to have to deal with AI for a long time and fight for the rights of real live people and artists to get compensated for their work. Because, AI, again, AI could not exist without stealing the skills of people. That's how it trains itself. Right. Um, um, although interestingly enough, we're having, we're, we seem to be speed running <laughs> some of the AI related collapse on the promise versus 
uh, delivery bit since the founder uh, of <laughs> OpenAI and ChatGPT that rolled out ChatGPT, Sam Altman, suddenly resigned yeah, from so this company. I don't this know. Week. I don't know anything about this. I just saw people having like big feelings about it, and I know who Sam Altman is, but I don't know how to interpret this. I'm also not entirely clear on what the implications are going to be here because I'm not super clear. Like nobody actually knows why he suddenly. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there, we don't actually know what led to this. Um, he's just suddenly. An AI version of him told him to resign and he was like, yeah. all right, game over. <laughs> well, and then somebody else resigned too. So Shit. Um, exactly what is happening will become clear probably soon, but. Should I be no. afraid? <laughs> I don't think they created Skynet. I think okay. it's probably more Thank you like for understanding that's what I was asking. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's probably much more like actually they were promising a bunch of stuff and it turned out they kind of cyber trucked it. There and, also seems to be a little yeah. bit of a disagreement over if he was fired or he resigned because Reuters yes. is saying Chat GBT fired him, and then Fox Business is saying he stepped down. Well, and I think let's, but also let's be real. Ninety nine percent of the time, when somebody steps down, they've been fired. They just are allowed to write that they've stepped down in a press release. Right. Wow. So interesting, guys. What a new, fresh hell we live in every single day. Yeah, it's great. Every time something happens that's kind of good, it comes with a big, uh, giant plate of steaming hot bullshit. It's, yeah. it's glorious. I occasionally get notified because I have a bunch of side gigs as a writer and I'll occasionally get notified where they're like, hey, we're not totally replacing you with bots, but like we're starting that process just to give you a heads up. And I'm like, thank you so much for your time and consideration. Um, I am a person who knows how to write, but I guess I'll just um, go fuck myself. You know, just uh, remember, it's important to be able to compete with the bots. They uh, they want to give you the opportunity to show that you are still funnier than what can be made by a computer. I swear to God, that's the only thing saving me, that I'm funny, because I've used chat GPT just to check it out and, like, know thy enemy, you know? And yeah. I'm going to let everybody know right now, it's not fucking funny. It doesn't know how to write a joke. It, it doesn't know how to make a haha. So... Thank God I do have that very particular human skill um, because straight writing, it, it can do straight copy. It can do that, no problem, but it can't tell a joke. So I'm like, ha I got at least, I don't know, what five years left? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, it can't necessarily, it doesn't seem to have the mechanisms capable of writing straight copy that is also true. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very true. Um, Which is sort of the thing that I obviously find myself thinking about. <laughs> also, I, I have to say, like, of the clients that I've worked with where I, like, write stuff for them, their number one complaint is always, we want it to be funny and engaging. And chat GPT can't do that. So, like, clients are willing to pay extra for a human being to write something good. So, at least right now, I'm encouraged by that. But yeah, listen, guys, I don't want to dance around it. We're all fucked. So... In terms of this new deal, like we're going to, I shouldn't say we because we didn't suffer during this, but SAG, AFTRA, it's going to be every three years because this technology is evolving so rapidly. But that is the heads up. So we're not going to end this episode with Ron. Which does feel 
a little bit sad. Not going to lie. Then you know what? We'll do it again in three years. It's true. There'll be somebody else who might possibly say something <laughs> even more militant because who knows what kind of hulking character will have really big feelings about it. Exactly. What if by the time the next strike comes along, Alan Richson from Reacher has decided that in addition to being like a super progressive Christian, he's going to be like militantly labor rights and he gives it to us. I welcome it. But let's be real. It's going to be Ron again. It'll just be him sitting backyard <laughs> shouting at a CEO and we'll be fangirling. Um, yeah, I fully expect and I'm, that. I'm okay with that. Me too. Um, let's get into recommendations. I have so many recommendations. I'm having like a little bit of anxiety that I'm not going to get to everything. Which that's okay. We covered, and we also uh, on the TV side, there were definitely a bunch of things that I was I started watching, or both we both started watching at the same time. So at least we've got that. I don't think there's going to be a need for me to like do an individual thing. So you jump in, and we'll get going. No, but you just did. help it occur to me that we should parse it we'll have a tv chunk because there's like three i have four five i have five tv shows (laughs) you guys is tv better than movies right now (laughs) i think it might be possible although it's it is a special time and i'm so glad that there's actual tv to be enjoying right now because i would be sad otherwise it's it gets dark at like four o'clock and It's very unpleasant. The seasonal depression has arrived, y'all. Yeah, I I have a sad. And I have to like go out today and I'm just like, oh, I had plans today that I'm just like, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry to everybody. Sorry to this man. Uh, I can't do it. All right. So let's start with The Killer on Netflix. Yes. Um. This is David Fincher's latest film. Um, It was also in theaters. I do not know a single person who saw it in the movie theater. Everyone I know who saw it saw it from the comfort of their home. And I really, really liked this film. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I the, The number one thing, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but again, if you are very spoiler sensitive, you know, skip ahead. Um... What I really liked about this is how uh, Michael Fassbender's character, who is the killer, is such a fuck up, but he seems to think like he's the best at his job. (laughs) (laughs) But he's constantly fucking up. Like, that is what the film is about. Like, he, well, this is a spoiler, but from the get go, we have the assassination gone wrong. And then from then on, it is him running from people, trying to get revenge for him, fucking up the job. And he just keeps making mistakes and fucking up. But he's also like so type A that he's very like, he's David Fincher, basically, if he was a hired killer, where like he's very organized. So like the the type A side of my brain was so happy going to his little storage unit where he has the plastic bins filled very neatly with all of his supplies and different identities. I was like, yay. And then he would immediately go and fuck everything up. And I was like, this is what makes it watchable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so David Fincher made a movie about a dude with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Exactly. Now, do you think that David Fincher knows he did that? I think he does. I think he does, too. He's not as... Fincher always seems like he's displayed a level of self-awareness that True. is goes further than some of the, the type A sort of clearly spectrum-y kind of directors that we love so much, like 
Denny or, you know, I'm thinking more about Christopher Nolan, who does seem to lack a certain extra level of awareness Mm -hmm. about certain decisions he makes. Uh, So I I believe it. Yeah. yeah, Greta is like that too. Greta Gerwig. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I, I honestly thought what this film was going to be was, so first of all, we open in an abandoned WeWork, which was so funny. I like (laughs) burst out laughing as soon as I saw the WeWork logo, just like a chef's kiss, David. There's a lot of really funny corporate, corporate placement in this film, like the Amazon stuff, he's getting like his little assassination supplies directly mailed to him (laughs) by Amazon, which is very funny. Um, So we open in a WeWork, abandoned WeWork because WeWork uh, has collapsed and he's setting up his little assassination um, spot to take out his target. I thought the whole film was going to be that just him in this room waiting to kill somebody. And I was like, I'm in, I'm a thousand percent in. And then obviously the film becomes something much bigger than that. But um, I would have just stayed in that room, honestly. I mean, I think that that's the sort of like, I'm not surprised that that was the vibe, you know, or what you thought was going to happen. I mean, like, I think that's a little bit how it was marketed, but also I would trust him to make a movie that was, just that did that um as soon as we have like an assassin doing yoga and listening to the smiths i'm like do we need anything more (laughs) and i think the answer is no no i really started to like because obviously there's this whole backstory where he has a girlfriend and the the you know there's this whole uh, attempt at retribution and they end up uh the assassins end up attacking her instead of him because he's not there and of course, he seeks revenge for his girlfriend. Um, all of that stuff was fun and good, but I was just sort of like, do we need it? It just kind of seemed like now we're entering more like conventional storytelling territory. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch it yet because I can only watch your Netflix on my uh, computer. <laughs> oh my God, I completely forgot you haven't seen it. Why weren't you interrupting me? Like, stop. Because I know, you know this about already? this film yeah. and I want to like, and this is, I'm not worried about spoilers. I'm okay. not one of those people. So this does not bother me. <laughs> I you're, you're one of these people, you read the Wikipedia page of the film before you watch something, which is just like, I cannot imagine. Only sometimes. It used to be a prophylactic measure when I was worried that something was going to scare me too much. Right. So I figured if I knew the plot of a horror movie that I was nervous about, that watching it wouldn't be quite so bad. And then there are some times where I'm like, okay, this is something that is should be on my list, but where do I put it on the list? Sometimes I just like figure out what's going on. Got it. Well, then I'll shut the fuck up about details, but I'll just say a uh, big recommend for the killer. Uh, really enjoyed it. Love David Fincher. We'll watch anything David Fincher puts out. Um, did he create a behemoth that is destroying movies? Kind of. It's not really his fault. I loved Mindhunter on Netflix. Yeah. Um, let the man cook. He's cooking wherever he can. Okay. He couldn't get into a kitchen in a theater. So he got into Netflix kitchen and he's cooking there. Um, and we, you know, he, so many people. He didn't. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just trying to do that, and they still couldn't get a third season for Mindhunter. So that's on. what's so fucked. Everyone's like, "Well, David Fincher helped create Netflix, which is sh- destroying movies." Is like, right? He couldn't get another season of Mindhunter, <laughs> so he even got fucked. Anyway, um, 
So yeah, big recommend for the killer. I also saw Saltburn, everybody. Oh, and it's not even out here in Madison. So this one is one where like I won't say any details. I won't say any like plot stuff. All I'll say is listen, I reviewed it on Letterboxd and I gave it two and a half stars. And people were messaging me on Instagram. Several people messaged me on Instagram freaking out because they were like, I really wanted to see this and I'm so disappointed. First of all, you should never not see a film you're excited about because someone reviews it poorly. You should still go see it because you were excited about it. However, I also need to clarify, two and a half stars does not mean don't go see this movie. It means I have notes about this. I have a lot of notes about this movie. But if I don't like a movie, I'm going to give it a half star, which is a warning to everyone not to see it. For example, I gave Blonde half a star. I don't think anybody should see Blonde. (laughs) I stand by that. I stand by that. Um, I think people should go see Saltburn. I think there are really positive things about Saltburn. Uh, Rosamund Pike, Carrie Mulligan, Richard E. Grant all play deliciously waspy characters and they are in the fucking pocket and they're wonderful. I really, really enjoyed their parts. So there are parts of this film that I enjoyed. (laughs) However, (laughs) I will say You and I were much warmer on Promising Young Woman than a lot of people. And at the time, I didn't understand the criticism of Emerald Fennell, which is that she is, how do I put this uh, delicately? She doesn't have a lot of finesse as a director. She just kind of like punches you in the face with what she's, she's trying to show you. So I was like, yeah, but that it was so stylized and I was sort of like on board from jump and I love Carrie Mulligan. So I was kind of like, whatever, I don't care. This is the first time I've understood the criticism of Emerald in that way, which is Saltburn is so it's like she directed with a sledgehammer. Anything that might have been like nuanced or interesting, she just like spells out like you are the dumbest person in the world. It's like, I understand. I get it. We don't need all of this extra stuff. You're, and I'm trying to be delicate because I don't want to say spoilers, but right. there is a reveal at the end that is like so thrown in your face that it really aggravated me because one of my favorite films is The Talented Mr. Ripley. Because it is one of the best films. One of the best films of all time. And this is very much trying to be the talented Mr. Ripley, except they change something that you and I will discuss later because it's a spoiler that is so crucial to why the talented Mr. Ripley worked that I was furious. Oh. <laughs> I was like, ooh, girl. And it's, it's a very silly over-the-top film in a way that I'm concerned because I feel like these days... Anytime something is just over the top, but not artful, just like throwing everything at the wall, people are like, yes, mess. We love mess. And it's like, but there's no artistry to it. And like, I will say like visually the film is beautiful. All of that, like the estate they got to, to be a uh, salt burn. All of that's gorgeous. Um, but my God, there's just like no finesse in this film. And Again, I'm like hesitating to reveal certain details, but anything that made the talented Mr. Ripley very magical and work and made it so artful is missing from this. Yeah. And I mean, I'm obviously I haven't seen it, but right off the bat, when thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley, one of the things that made it work so beautifully is that 
at that moment in time, Jude Law was literally the most beautiful man on the planet. But Meredith, like, don't you think Jacob Elordi is the most beautiful man alive? Because Emerald <laughs> fucking does. <laughs> I just have to imagine that that's like a rich British ladies thing where she's just like, okay, he's Aussie, like Sydney boys. So there's like some weird, like ancient colonial thing where she's like, you're my perfect vision of rough trade. <laughs> Charles and I were <clears throat> messaging about him last night and I was like, I don't understand why he has broken the thing in my brain that is just reflexively attracted to any tall man. <clears throat> I'm like not attracted to him, but I'm attracted. I know. I find this baffling because we've talked about it too. And normally you're extremely into tall people. He looks so weird, like especially standing next to Barry because Barry's like five, eight. Like he's, I know, he's real a weird tiny. little guy. Yeah. He's a weird little guy. And by the way, she did not harness his weirdness enough because I was like, cool, Barry's going to get to go full talented Mr. Ripley. And it just never gets there. And then it gets crazy at the end out of nowhere. And I'm like, y'all did not earn a second of this. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sorry. Like, especially when you are thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley, I'm like, that is not Jude Law. That is not the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You're like, excuse me. I feel like there's been a mistake here. You have, you promised me Jude Law and you delivered this strange scrawny ogre. And I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I need to hit the Amazon button that says this was not the correct delivery. And I promise I would not be mean about like anybody's appearance. Were it not like the movie's success relies on you buying that Barry would like go to war for this man because like he's so beautiful and he's so charming. And when they never get there, it's like, he's just a boring rich guy. Like what the fuck is this? And yeah, like, and um, you know, because Emerald Fennell is so rich herself so and rich. so posh, uh, there's no way that she was going to be able to pull off. I mean, even whatever it is about her, she doesn't have the chops to pull off a movie in which Barry's character would be obsessed with him and be convinced that he's beautiful and charming and perfect. And the dude's actually just a total drip. Like that is yeah. too much complexity for her. And I have to be honest, like in terms of like a dud trying to be high society, I sort of buy Matt Damon way more than Barry just because like Barry's sort of striking looking too. Like, she has a line where Rosamund Pike just compliments his eyes. Cause it's like, yeah, he does kind of look like you're an actor, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you do look like a character actor. So like that has to be addressed because he's not quite right in the part either. And I, I like, again, I can't emphasize enough. We love Barry. We're huge Barry fans on this show. It just didn't work for this. And, mm -hmm. but would I, would I say, don't go see it? No, of course not. Especially if like, you're really excited your mileage may vary. You might really connect with the tone of this movie. Um, but yeah, this was the first time I understood the, the ding on Emerald. And also it is just a rich lady being like, isn't it awesome to be rich? And it's like, yes, Emerald, it's awesome to be rich. We all want to yeah. be rich. We all want to be rich. We all wish to be the kind of rich person who's mean like Rosamund Pike. Oh, she's so good at it. She's so good. And Carrie Mulligan and Richard E. Grant. Again, there is, there's good in this film. We just have to get to salt burn for it to pop off. And there is a good, ten, it felt like 10, 15 minute 
notes at the top where they're at university. And I'm like, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> Get to Saltburn. Why didn't we open at Saltburn? Uh, but yeah, so that's how I feel about that. For me, it is a sound two and a half. So let's get to the television segment. Yes, please. Should we start with the curse? Yes. Let's discuss the curse. Do you want to set it up? Sure. So this is the new Showtime series from Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie, uh, which stars uh, Safdie, Fielder, and Emma Stone. And uh, Fielder and Stone are a married couple who are trying to shoot a pilot for an HGTV-style series where they're flipping homes that are environmentally conscious and they are the typical sort of we're do-gooders we want to help the community and fight gentrification by gentrifying the hell out of things and they're you know clueless and fumbling and there's a moment in the the pilot episode or the first episode that I was not prepared for. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not just all. one moment. I felt like I, my jaw was just like on the floor for a lot of the curses pilot. <laughs> oh God. I mean, that was, it, it really hits. It's so cringy. Like this is the height of deeply uncomfortable stuff. And Especially, I know you said as a producer, it just like made your skin crawl. And I completely understand that because you see them filming and they're interviewing people and they're like, oh. When Benny is putting the fake teardrops on that poor woman's in her eyes and like hurting her. And like, (laughs) it's just, I was dying. And I'm sorry to say that's like not really exaggerated in terms of reality television. I mean, also, that was something like that was literally a plot, like a major part of the plot of Broadcast News, which is a movie from the fucking 80s. Like, (laughs) it's always been, always will be. Um, Yeah, I, if you are into cringe humor, if that's your bag, if you love Nathan's other work, I think, and Benny's other work uh, as a director, I think you'll love The Curse. It is so uncomfortable, but like, very funny and very pointed in terms of its observations about like woke liberals and how liberals perform their liberalism. (laughs) Have Uh, you watched the second episode? No. So that's what I was going to say. I haven't seen episode two yet. Um, So I watched it last night and there is an absolutely like Benny Safdie has an inc- unbelievably upsetting, like disturbing <laughs> little showcase. I'm laughing because I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, you should be nervous. Like it is, if if the show has one moment like that in every episode, even if it doesn't fully hold together, I will be like, I will be ride or die for it because I can't believe how dark. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they're going to be able to walk that line because like the pilot, I can only speak to the pilot, obviously, but the pilot walked the line where it was like cringe, cringe, cringe. And then so funny you could keep watching, mm-hmm. but that's like such a hard line to walk because it can get very dark. And it seems like Nathan is interested in exploring like his character has a lot of darkness in him. And he can really flip a switch where suddenly he is like a nasty person. Um, He seems interested in exploring that. And that could go like very sour very quickly. 
Yeah. And I've definitely, people who have seen more than just the first two episodes seem to be mixed in their reactions about it mm-hmm. um, as far as how it all holds together. I think you and I are likely to be people for whom the stuff that bothered those critics is not a problem. Yeah. Like I think we'll probably be able to to manage it a little bit or it won't end up turning us off like it did those critics. But um, it's such a weird moment for the, the show to come out. I mean, like in some ways I'm just imagining if there hadn't been a strike or if the strike had ended earlier, thinking about this as the prestige winter show for <laughs> like up against a regular like TV season. Yeah. It's so hard for me to imagine. Like these guys are just, they're so strange. It's so singular and it's so strange. Yeah. Like, where do you put it? And also I have to like give them hats off for uh, their marketing <laughs> because that fucking awful romantic comedy trailer with uh, <laughs> Sydney Sweetie and Glenn Powell. Yeah, those two, um, where they're like, hey, this is a trailer for our romantic comedy. Oh, you, <laughs> stop. So then Emma and Nathan parodied it, and it's so funny. And then what's extra funny is everyone acknowledged that it was a parody, and then Nathan put out a lengthy statement where he was like, we shot this six months ago. It's not parody. It's a coincidence. <laughs> which was so fucking funny and like the extra layer of brilliance that he always brings, you know? Well, and then the director of the bad rom-com responded with a like, I'm still growing and learning and I'm so sorry. So good. I like really just applause all around to everyone. And then they made (laughs) a fake poster for their movie. That's the, the promotional poster from, um, the, the curse. curse, which was so funny. Yeah. And by the way, I like Glenn. I think I like Sydney. I really like Sydney and Euphoria. I'm starting to wonder about her a little bit in terms of like what her range is. Yeah. Um, but I liked her in Euphoria, so I'm I'm rooting for her. So like I, I don't mean to be uh cruel about their movie. It just um does not look like my cup of tea. No, it looks like it's going to be very bad. And I mean, I liked her in White Lotus. I liked her in a few movies that she did before she really blew up on Euphoria. She she had like a run of what was the one that um, she was like the music student. Yeah, I now I can't remember the name yeah. of that one, but that one was great. And then she was also in The Voyeurs, which okay. is a really fun sort of like it's yes, like half sleazy. Uh, yeah. It's like a sleazy rear window. Okay, so she's fine. She just needs to find like her projects. There are a lot of young actors right now that are sort of like feeling out what they can do, and I think that's great. Um, and she just might discover that like romantic comedy is not her bag, um, and that's okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can also see the reasoning behind putting her and Glenn Powell in a movie together they're because so like, hey, they're so gorgeous. Yeah. Of course, we want to watch these people be hot. But I'm scene. sorry, you can't pretend that like she I think she's supposed to be like schlubby in a scene. You have to make them like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like you have to make them incredibly hot spies. <laughs> I'm looking at them and I'm like, I don't buy that these are regular human beings. They're not. They're two right. incredibly attractive actors. 
Like she's the only like she's the only person out there who's skinny and has huge boobs. Huge naturals. She's got big old naturals. What are you doing, Hollywood? I see them with my eyes. <sighs> Putting her in a There's baggy sweatshirt. You think I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> God, insulting. I see him and his dick walking around, showing his little butt. I see him. That's not a regular man. No, no. That's like a very particular sort of specially grown in the lab. And they like, they're going to, they tell us he's from Texas. But do we really know really? he's from Texas? Oh, yeah. He's from Texas. I've seen Texans. I'm not stupid. Well, Austin. So kind of, but like. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um. So why was I talking about that? Oh, yeah. oh, yes, because of the curse. And we got distracted because I I love that this is creating space for people to be silly at a time that there's been so much seriousness and people had to focus for so long on holding the line with the strike and, you know, showing solidarity to people that were really struggling. And now we have this like giant punch to the face of weirdness and it's nice to see other people flexing their creative muscles with that as the inspiration as opposed to like everybody just saying yay hallmark movie time right oh and i just have to give it up for emma stone who can like literally do anything it's so wild like speaking of someone who you can like drop in anything and she's great it doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what genre. It doesn't matter, like, who the writers are. She just, like, crushes it every single time. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. It's just really fun to watch how much she's willing to take risks because yes, yes. it's not uh, – she's unbelievably likable and has made movies where the whole – everything hung on the fact that she's incredibly likable. I mean, that's the reason Easy A worked. Mm-hmm. But everything she's been doing for the past several years has involved – a, a level of difficulty and an edge that I just don't think a lot of like actresses who are moving into their thirties are willing, like would be willing to put themselves on the line like that. And knowing no, that I she's going to be in poor things too, like this ugh. is going to be a big, big winter for Emma Stone. I can't wait to see poor things. I'm so pissed. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's just the fact that she's doing TV. I'm like, what a fucking boss bitch move. Yeah. Because you know yeah. a lot of actresses would, I, there's still an attitude that like TV is beneath some actresses and the fact that she just like does whatever the fuck she wants and hits it out of the park every single time. It's like, that is really impressive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, shall we move to your ne- our next recommendation? Yeah. Let's talk about fellow travelers. Um, yes. You recommended this to me pretty early. On. I did. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, this is, it's a another Showtime show set during the Lavender Scare, uh, which is when McCarthy and the U.S. government started uh, persecuting gay and lesbian, um, any sort of sexually nonconforming uh, government employees. So, of course, an incredibly dark and devastating time for uh for a lot of people and it stars Matt Bomer and Jonathan Bailey uh as two men who are in love during this period um one of whom uh, Jonathan Bailey's character works for Senator McCarthy and is a tormented catholic in the 1950s and uh Matt Bomer plays a state department empl- like a state department diplomat in training uh who seems to be politically sort of agnostic 
um, in general, mostly just he, he's the kind of he's ambitious. Um, so you, there's two timelines, one in the 1980s uh, and one in the 1950s. So you see the, their relationship playing out and also um, after they've been separated for many years uh, as um, Tim, Jonathan Bailey's character, is dying of AIDS. Um, so you watch them kind of dealing with each other in both timelines. And it's, I'm really enjoying it. It's, I mean, it's depressing as hell, but also like, they're like they they pull something off that I haven't seen in a lot of movies or TV that show this like relationships between gay characters in you know during dark times like there's a lot of room for queer joy guys this is a sexy show it is also unbelievably fucking hot. <laughs> it's really hot. Like the way they shoot these sex scenes is like, okay. I was like frantically texting Meredith where I was just like, oh my God, these are the two most beautiful men I've ever seen in my life. Everybody in this show is beautiful. <laughs> like, And it's shot so like luxuriously and like, yeah, I mean, it is, it's not easy to make sex scenes look hot. Actually, even if you have very hot actors, you have to stage them right. You have to light them right. You have to like, I'm sure they had like an intimacy coordinator, you know, like checking in with everybody. And then all of that has to come together and hopefully it works. And my God, whoever's responsible for like doing the sex scenes, uh, A++++. Um, I think the show is really interesting and... It is depressing in parts, but it's also, as you said, there's a lot of moments of queer joy that are very fun to watch and very sweet. Just like, you know, finding your community and your family and your chosen family, all that stuff. Um, very sweet. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a story that that it ta- it shows a period of time that hasn't been covered a lot in pop culture, but I think a lot of people are familiar with when thinking about the history of, of gay rights uh, in America. So it's kind of, you know, you're not, it's not revolutionary except in that there is full buy-in from all of the actors and all of the two, like really not shy away from portraying things. Like clearly there was just an enormous amount of comfort to be willing to show people having like, pretty explicit gay sex. Well, it helps which is like when you have gay, important. <laughs> it, it helps when you have gay actors. Like, yeah, honestly, it really does. we always like applaud straight men when they, you know, take queer roles. But oftentimes, like, I always think of interview with a vampire where it's like, y- these are two queer characters and clearly two ostensibly straight quote unquote actors who are self-conscious about looking too gay. Mm-hmm. and don't want to embrace that side of a character, which is kind of important to embrace that side. And, you know, to have gay actors playing gay characters is, I think it does help. Well, you're talking about the movie, not the TV series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I forgot there's an excellent TV series now. Yeah. No, I'm because talking about- there the are straight actors in that too, and they go for it. So yeah. at least, you know, thankfully, younger actors are not nearly as afraid, but yeah. I still think it's better- that it, it the show is significant like uh fellow travelers is significantly improved by the fact that they have gay actors yeah i would never say that like a straight actor shouldn't play a gay character because i know that's like up for debate but i just 
Yeah, I would never say that. But I do think that for fellow travelers, it does inform it. They know what they're fucking doing, you know, and it looks natural. Yeah. And also, it's just... God, Matt Bomer is beautiful. Like He's it's like a cartoon character. <laughs> He's like a cartoon <laughs> character. Like a nerd sat down and was like, I'm going to draw a hot man. And it was Matt Bomer. Yeah, it just turns out like what were they putting in the water in Oklahoma when That's he awesome. and Lee Pace were being uh, spawned? Because yeah. they're both from there. It's wild. It's I always forget strange. Lee Pace is from there. Yeah. Ugh. Like what is what was going on? What's going on, guys. Yeah, but also thank God they got out because our lives are better to be able to watch them be beautiful and charismatic. I love, Um, love, love that Charles and I are in the background of a Lee Pace photo. (laughs) I think that is (laughs) iconic uh, and I treasure it always. Um, Someday you need to be, that needs to be on your LinkedIn. You're like occasional (laughs) background filler for Lee Pace. For Lee Pace, yeah. (laughs) Um, at the Bodies, Bodies, Bodies premiere, everyone. Good movie. Very good movie. Yeah. Um, um, so did you have anything else about Fellow Travelers? No, I think like it's just it's a it's a pretty it falls into the straightforward drama category. But I definitely think it's really worth watching and that if you sit down to do it, you'll be really engaged. So this next one was also a Meredith recommendation that I hopped on board uh, for, which is a murder at the end of the world. Oh, I can't help it. Do you want to do the explanation or the description on this one? Oh my God, can I? Um, So I'm just going to bring up the synopsis because it's it's kind of, this is one of my notes about uh, at least the pilot, which is it's kind of all over the place. So at the center of it is a Gen Z amateur sleuth named Darby who is investigating uh, a serial killer, but then we we have a time jump where uh, she and eight other guests are invited to a reclusive billionaire's uh, estate to participate in a retreat. Um, and one of the other guests turns out to be dun, 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 her ex-boyfriend, who's Banksy, kind of. Guys, yeah. it's kind of a mess. Um and he is uh, eventually found dead. So it's sort of like, I kept calling it Baby Poirot, where it's like Darby is in this isolated location with eight other interesting characters, and there is a murder, um, and there's a murderer afoot. So Darby's trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then we're also occasionally flashing back to when she and her uh, now-dead ex-boyfriend were in pursuit of this serial killer. And I guess everything's going to come together eventually. But at least right now, I find it to be like very uh, all over the place and disjointed. Well, at this point, you know, so it's um, don't forget Clive Owen is also in it as a mysterious uh, tech magnate, sort of a combination of Steve Jobs and um, Jeff Bezos, but Clive Owen. Um, Somebody... uh, put this in uh the category with white lotus and i haven't been able to stop thinking about it which is networks that use sort of like um stunt casting carpet bombing which is like (laughs) you might not be on board with this show at all but we've got clive owen we've got uh all those other actors who are in this um and that's supposed to like wow you enough where you're sort of like I'll keep tuning in because look at all these cool act and I haven't been able to like unknow that where I'm like oh yeah that is kind of what this is yeah now 
I, it's also a creation of, um, Brit Marling and, uh, I feel like we could spend an episode just talking about Brit Marling. <laughs> I know. And this is, uh, you know, my, and I need to just double check because I never remember Zell, but, but, uh, uh, and they've worked on a bunch of oh, her writing partner. Yeah. Yeah. Her writing partner. They've worked on a bunch of stuff since, um, they were in college. And so I like, this is, was designed in a lab for me because it's like hot, socially awkward, blonde hacker girl um, goes to the remote place in Iceland and then has to like solve a murder. So it's like, I've read dozens of books that are essentially this plot. Uh, So, but also Britt Marling plays a, is in it and her character is a reclusive uh, female hacker who was hounded off the internet, but then ultimately marries Clive Owen's character. So I feel so, the way about no. this show that I feel about all of Britt Marling's projects, which is if you say the plot out loud, you sound insane. Like you I just know. have to like be in it. Like if I were to, if you guys are not familiar with the OA and I told you what the plot of the OA is, you would have me committed because like <laughs> it is fucking crazy. And what Britt and her writing partner, I'm sorry, I forgot his name, are so Zal are so good at is immersing you in this world. And before you know it, you've just like bought in 110%. And you're like, yeah, these people are angels and they do a little dance and they get closer to God, y'all. Like, and you were just like in it. And it's kind of miraculous that they can do that. I just want to say real quick before we talk about the plot anymore. Yeah. Emma Corrin goes by they, them pronouns. Oh, Darby sorry. goes by she, her. No, no, no. I was just, right, right, right. I, when I was referring to Darby, oh. I kept saying her, but like FYI, that's what's going right. on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, but I remember, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of everything Britt Marling's done, especially her movies. I, I really love the sound of your voice in which uh, she plays someone who may, who's a cult leader who may or may not be a time traveler. I'm convinced that just is her. That is just Brit. Because like the fact that she gets the projects sold, that she gets sold, um, in addition to being like incredibly talented, obviously, and like beautiful, um, I think she just has like a pull about her. Because in order to like sell these projects, she's got to be charismatic as fuck. I believe it. Yeah. And I mean, this is, Something that's been on my mind is I really wonder if how this would play if you could watch every all of them at the same time. Like if you how this plays as a binge watch versus as episodic TV, because you're right, it doesn't hold together, but also a new episode doesn't drop until Monday. Yeah, that's true. So there's uh so you're waiting for the we're we're waiting for the threads to start to come together and as far as where the story is moving at the moment where you get this murder and the beginnings of an investigation and starting to wonder what people's motives are. That's an awkward place to leave off. It bothered me a little bit just because it felt like a checklist where it's like, okay, what is everybody into right now? True crime. Got that. Serial killers. Got that. Well, people really like the knives out vibe where we have like the stunt carpet bombing casting got that do you know what I mean it felt like a little bit it felt like they didn't think the serial killer stuff was enough nor was Mm -hmm. the retreat with the eight the Agatha Christie vibes of it all so they're like what if we combine it and you might be right maybe it'll all come together wonderfully at the end but at least right now it felt a little like yes these things all are very relevant right now (laughs) 
Yeah. I also would 100% believe that that's the sort of thing that happened in development because yes. that's what, yeah. what that's how streamers. 100%. Yeah. They, they pulled Brit into a room and they were like, what do you have? And then they were like, can you put X, Y, Z things into it? And she's like, got it. No, yeah. problem. no problem. We're on yeah. it. Um, you know, I am really curious about where it goes. I think if you like chilly mystery vibes, yes. anytime, like if you've watched a lot of Swedish, Norwegian, Finnish, Icelandic, do you Danish fuck with mystery stuff? The girl with the dragon tattoo. If the answer is yes, you will like this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I think people should check it out. Uh, and also, especially if only because I want Brit and Zal to keep making stuff. Weird fucking shit. She is so interesting. We could like spend an entire episode just talking about her. I would do, I would 100% do a episode that was entirely just an appreciation of Brit Marling. <laughs> she used to be an investment banker. Was that her official title? I don't know, but it was probably something. She was like she, in she Goldman in Sachs some, world. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, she had some job that was in finance yeah. and exactly what it was. But that's the kind of connected she is. She's like, I think she's from a rich Chicago family. She went to fucking Georgetown. Yeah. Like this person has parents probably held a fundraiser for Obama in early 2008 vibes. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, recommending a murder at the end of the world. And, uh, I think I recommended this to you, although you're probably going to watch it anyway. Blackberry is now on, it's on AMC, right? Yes. AMC. Um, and guys, I don't know if you're going to believe this. Uh, Blackberry is about the story of, uh, the creation of Blackberry as in, as in the phone, Uh, And it is, I feel like a a sort of (laughs) a biographical film about a product. I'm thinking of air is like the most Mm -hmm. recent example I can think of can go very wrong because um, first of all, it can be like uh, heaping too much praise upon a product, which is very depressing and like a sort of dystopian um, capitalism hellscape way, you know, um, and it can be very formulaic and get very stale. I have to give Blackberry credit. I thought it was very engaging. I thought it was very funny. I have to shout out Glenn Howerton. I texted Meredith when I was watching the first episode and I was like, is he my favorite actor? <laughs> <laughs> He's so fucking good in this. He's legitimately good. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, he's always going to be known for being on Always Sunny and so hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do things that allow him to stretch or play characters that use different muscles than that. And I just want him yelling at me. Just watching him yell at a room full of nerds when he's like, get off the fucking internet is one of the funniest things. It is. I need that. I need that clip to play like, once every two hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just need it on my, I need the alarm on my phone to just play him sh- shouting, screaming, get off, get off the fucking internet. internet. Uh, yeah. So I'm recommending Blackberry. I don't know if it needed to be a TV show. I think they could have just put the movie up as is, but yeah. whatever. It but was. It's, it ends up only being like three episodes, right? Yeah. So it seems like it was kind of 
they, there's a you little know. extended, some extended scenes in it to sort of flesh it out. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very interesting, very engaging. And Glenn is fucking hilarious in it. Yeah. I mean, on what you said about the the stories of brands, it is really frustrating that that's become such a thing. You have like the one that's about the Beanie Baby craze. God, and I haven't even seen that. I'm not ever going to watch that. I don't care about it. But it's once air came out, everybody got on board and now we're seeing all of those product, like these projects coming out. And it's just like, guys, not every story of a company that made a thing is engaging. This is not what we need in our lives. Yeah, like, and if, even if it is interesting, which like the origin of Nike is interesting, but and the origin, like the rise and fall of Blackberry is fascinating. Yeah. But it's sort of like with the Nike thing, like they tried to like make Nike look good and like they barely mention the sweatshops. It's like one line in the film and it's sort of like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, why are we here? Why are we telling the story if you're not going to tell the story? Yeah. But at the same time, nobody was care- like nobody did care about the sweatshops in the 80s. So I suppose at least it was accurate to the time. I'm not trying out here going to try more like then why mention it at all? You know, like, I don't know. It's it felt like very self-conscious to mention it, but not really explore it. Um, Well, I mean, Affleck has probably like probably was just like, oh, well, the the core of me is still a diehard Howard Zinn fan. So we got to find a way to mention it somewhere. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I have two quick recommendations for TV. One is a show called Bargain on Paramount Plus. Guys, I don't want to even really tell you the plot of this because it's kind of a spoiler, but I feel like in order to get you to watch it, I have to tell you a little bit. So Bargain opens uh, with a scene where we think we're watching a young sex worker talk to a client and they are in a hotel and they are negotiating the price of their sexual encounter. <laughs> and she she obviously is asking for a lot of money and he does not want to pay that much. And they are going back and forth. It's a really uncomfortable scene because we don't really know how old she is and like we don't know what his vibe is. And he's being like kind of cruel to her. Um, and then uh God, I'm I really am like hesitant to tell you exactly what happens. I'll say this much. There is an earthquake and all hell breaks loose. And that is all I'll say. And there are twists and turns and reveals that like you really have to just watch because if I tell you too much, uh, it, it gives away really important details. But it is shot so brilliantly. Everything feels like uh, every episode feels like one take and it more or less is one take. Um, and you are just on them or on them you are just with them for the ride it feels kind of like a video game and it is wild i've never seen anything like it i this is on my list and i just haven't gotten to it i'm very excited um it's been heavily marketed as if you like squid game you'll be into this which i think is like kind of cheap i think the that basically the fact that it's korean yeah means is the reason they were like guys this is crazy and it's Korean, therefore Squid Game. Right. Um, that's why they are advertising it that way. Um, I'm really excited because I've, I'm a huge fan of South Korean action weirdness and 
this seems to have all of that. Yes. Give it, it to is me now. Written and directed by Wu Sung Jong. And it is, yeah, I've really never seen anything like it. It's very exciting. Um, and yeah, that's all I'll say about it. And then finally, a miracle of miracles. And I do have to shout them out because credit where credit is due. Loki season two stuck the landing. One of the best episodes of television ever. And uh, Tom Hiddleston, thank you for your service. I'll see you in three years when they inevitably drag you back into the MCU. But this was like a perfect goodbye to this character. In a just world, they would just leave Loki alone, but that's never going to happen. He's too popular. They're going to bring him back. But, oh, God, it really, right in the fucking heart. It was great. Oh, all right, fine. Eventually I'll get to it. The one thing that saves me is I don't have access to an Apple TV subscription so or a Disney Plus subscription. So I like... You know I would give you my account, obviously. I know. I know. But then I'd have to admit that I'm actually interested because I did really like the first season. I know. And I, remember I have came, too much pride. You caved and you were like, it's actually really good. And I was like, I know. I know. Uh, you like getting me to begrudgingly uh, accept that not every single Marvel thing is is very bad. And also as like a forever stan of Me- Boarhead, uh, Boarhead and Menson. Boarhead and <laughs> we'll call them that when we're mad at them. <laughs> oh, yeah, as a diehard fan of Benson and Moorhead, I clearly am going to be interested in like watching what they do. And I'm glad that they're getting paid because obviously um, the pandemic made like it impossible for them to get much traction with their uh, last movie, something in the dirt. And then, and also their movie before that synchronic didn't um, well, wasn't that great. So, you know, they, I like that they're getting wins. They do something so beautiful and abstract in the last episode that I was sort of just like stunned where I was like, I don't know how you decided to show it this way, but Oh my God, like really, really beautiful at the end so very much credit to them because it was difficult to shoot <laughs> so it, was a, it was a big idea that they were trying to show uh visually and yeah i god i that's the thing that's so infuriating about marvel well they'll they'll have these little glimmers of moments where they like let creators pop off in their own unique way and it's like can we do this all the time and kevin feige's like no <laughs> We can't. <laughs> we have to make it They're fit like, no. in the machine, and it can't fit in the machine if it's too weird, you know. We will hire you to do this thing, but if you are not doing, basically, if you're not doing Loki, you're not allowed to do anything weird. Well, that's it's frustrating in season two because there's this lag in the middle with fucking uh, Jonathan Majors where they're trying to like crowbar his character into this world. And it's like, we don't care about this man. We want to watch the characters we love from season one you know, complete their character arcs in season two and he's in the way. And once we get past him, then the show just like takes off and it's so infuriating that it had to like fit into the MCU machine of it all. But yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, also to, I guess not to be fair, but part of this is that they have to find some way to like say contractually they've concluded his storyline. To get him the uh, fuck out. Yeah. And, and like not pursue the parts of the story on the movie side that they had been planning for. So I'm sure that part of why they needed, they made it necessary is that they have a way to like extract him from the universe. Yeah. And that's like, have we had a moment of silence yet for there's not going to be any 
or there's one MCU movie coming out next year, Deadpool. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Oh, so I know we're we're basically running out of time, but I feel like we need a moment for you to discuss the Madame Web trailer. Oh my god. Oh, guys. Oh, my my little <laughs> heart. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can have Sydney Sweeney in a movie. Or you can have Dakota Johnson. You cannot put those women in a film together because they have the very, the exact same delivery, which is they don't modulate their voices. Everything sounds like this all the time, even when I'm showing emotion, like right now, everything sounds like that. So when she is falling off a bridge... Dakota Fanning's character, Madam Webb, she's falling off a bridge or she's talking about he he was with my mother in the Amazon when she was researching spiders before she died. Everything sounds like that. And it is just untenable. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's illegal. (laughs) And not in like that's even before we get to the fact that this movie looks like it's going to be an absolute unmitigated fucking disaster. I don't know what you're talking about. Looks real good. No, it guys. <laughs> it looks like a CW show. I'm like, what are we doing, fam? Why why are we putting out stuff like this? It looks terrible. Hey, I mean, at least the Arrowverse turned out to be somewhat narratively coherent when it all was said and done. So you know, let's not get. I'm not out here defending DC for no reason. (laughs) Like I will at least hand it to the nerds that like, it doesn't have to be for everybody. It's not for me, but in its existence, it functioned. And And also they just (laughs) showed the entire movie in the trailer. I was just like, okay, so I, I, I've seen the film now. Well, of course they did because nobody's heard of this character. Nobody gives a shit about this character. We have no idea why it's happening. And there's nothing compelling about the idea of Dakota Johnson as a superhero. Like, yeah. But are you, are you really excited though, that Adam Scott is uncle Ben? I love that chaos. Um, yeah. Although it's really unfortunate that they're going to make him play a nice character because he's always better playing assholes. Always better. Guys, watch Big Little Lies. Yeah. Do but it. one thing I, I will say I am uh, excited about relative to this film coming out is it's going to be an amazing Dakota Johnson press tour. She's going to lie so much and I'm so excited. It is going to be chaos. chaos. Like her, like she should have been Wanda. Or maybe she is no. Wanda. No, I mean like I was like as a chaos magic. Person. Oh, I see, I see. I was like, yes. no, Elizabeth. No, 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 Olsen's not, Wanda. not for emotional depth, like emotional depth. I'm talking about like super villain, like this is a woman who walks around. By the way, uh, I think creating she could be chaos. I think she could be a really fun villain. Like if once people understand what her power is and how to tap it, Dakota Johnson is not a sweet every woman character dakota johnson is like a kind of scary witch and once like people know how to tap into that i think she could be really fun i don't think she knows what she's doing in madam web what is her emotional anchor in madam web yeah she doesn't i mean apparently it has something to do with the fact that her mom died while she was researching Researching spiders spiders in the amazon and she died oh my god guys listen (laughs) Will I watch it on streaming? Of course I will. I got to check it out. I'm not going to the fucking movie theater. That's where I draw the line. 
Oh, please. No, that is, you need to get catastrophically high in the comfort of your own home. And Oh, speaking of getting catastrophically high, I can't wait for Napoleon. (laughs) I had a a friend of mine was, uh, got to go to see a preview screening, uh, as a plus, a friend's plus one. Mm -hmm. And his reaction when he sent to my group text was guys, it was so bad, bad, good. All one word. That's so, so, so. And I guess, uh, What's the line that Joaquin Phoenix apparently speaks in the in the film? You think you're so great just because you have boats? I think it was boats, yeah. Yeah. I'm in a and, thousand percent. Yeah. I I need I need the chaos of the two and a half hour version. I can't wait for the four hour version. That's like a buy a buy a bottle of wine and just like drink the whole thing while watching it kind of experience. Hey, you guys want to get fucked up and watch Napoleon? Yup. Yeah, yep. that's uh, that's a party. exactly what I want to do. That's the only party I want to go to. All right, guys, on that note, we got to get out of here. Please follow us on social. I'm all over the place. Meredith is on Blue Sky. I'm on Blue Sky. Uh, if you're a fan of sh- the show, go to lighttreason.news. Smash that donate button. That's what's keeping the lights on, baby. Or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, you can support this crazy little operation. I appreciate you guys. Uh, No wrong this episode. So that means have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 